What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hello, I am Vanessa Ragland. I'm the co-host of the Pop My Culture podcast, and I'm a fan of the Smart People podcast. And I'm running for California Leukemia Lymphoma Society Woman of the Year, which I'm so excited about. It's a 10-week fundraising contest, at the end of which I might get a tiara. I don't know. Uh, But really, it's not about me. It's about cancer, and it's about this great organization that's so selfless. It's helped friends I have that are living with cancer and also friends that have been pronounced cancer-free. I can't think of a more worthy cause to be involved with, and I'm really having a blast planning this campaign And the Smart People podcast has amazingly stepped up and said for the month of February, every donation they get will go to LLS. So I'm just here to encourage you to donate this month. February is all about love. Uh, So love the whole world and hate on cancer. Now on to what you're really here for. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Yes, this is still the same Smart People podcast that you have all come to love, despite the different intro we have there. How do you guys like it? Hope it's awesome. Roach, what do you think about that intro we got there? Well, you know, I'm kind of partial to it. I love it. I know. So much fun. I'm glad we we meant to do that on our year anniversary. It took us a little longer. We're a little far behind, but hope you guys like it. We're going to, you know, try and mix it up every year to come. It was really cool. It was a lot of fun doing. We have some quotes from past shows, all that good stuff. And then there's also something else different about the beginning of the show this month. 
Thank you. Yes, the month of February, we are donating all proceeds that we get from our smartpeoplepodcast.com donation button to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society through Vanessa Ragland. You heard her beautiful voice at the beginning of this podcast. She is running for LLS Woman of the Year in California, and we are helping to support that cause. So if you guys could send a couple dollars our way through our website, we'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah, we don't get any of this. This is 100% donation. So this isn't a plea for your money. Um, And it is fun to have a chick's voice on at the beginning because I get sick of listening to you sometimes. Thanks a lot. Yeah. So anyways, this week, another awesome topic. It's one that, I don't know, we kind of tend to cover through various mediums, but we call it, or our guest to be named, calls it hacking. But it's not really computer hacking. I mean, that's what he does. He is a computer hacker. But he hacks everything. And by that, he means trying to figure out better ways to do things, better ways to get inside a system and make it more efficient. This is uh, largely based around companies, innovation, changing, keeping up with the fast-paced technology and the things. And he has some things that he'll say in in our interview are like sound bites that you should keep in your brain forever. You know what I'm saying, Roach? Oh, 100% agree. You know, a lot of the stuff that he talked about, I will never forget, and I don't think our listeners will either. Yeah, there's just a lot of good stuff. So without further ado, I'm going to tell you, this week we interview Josh Klein, and Josh is a little bit different than, you know, most of the guests on the show in the sense that um, he's not like a doctor or anything like that, but he is an author, and he speaks everywhere. He's a sought-after speaker. He was on TED Talks, and, you know, I don't know. What else has he been in there, Roach? He's been on NPR He's been at South by Southwest, written for The Guardian, Harvard Business Review, Make Magazine, Wired Magazine. He's been featured in, I guess, Oprah's Magazine, O, or whatever it's called. But he also wrote a book before this past book called Rude, and his way of distributing it was pretty cool. Back in the times when jailbreaking an iPhone was new and hip, there was an e-reader that was released uh, to be put on those phones, and this book was available through download that way. And it was one of the first e-readers on the iPhone. It's pretty incredible that he used that medium to actually push this book to the masses. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. And it's, so the way we found out about Josh is actually he came and spoke as part of our speaker series at Living Social, at the company I work at. And I, I approached him afterwards because everything he said was so poignant, and he was really well-spoken. You can see why he speaks at all these conferences. He's a real guy with really good insight and he's quick witty and um it was just a blast to talk to him it ended up turning into more of a conversation rather than an interview but those usually go better and the things that we could take out of it in terms of just like i said those sound bites are are incredible so we're excited to let you guys listen to josh and think about how you can innovate in any system you're in in your in your work in your life in your hobbies ways you can think Oh, God, I'm not going to say think outside the box, but, you know, really um, get out of those norms and make something cool happen. What? Way to go out of the box on thinking out of the box. I know. I can't believe I said that. I'm so in the box. And before we get to the interview, I would like to let everybody know that we are on the brink of doubling our likes on Facebook in about a three-week period. We went from, I don't know, a little over 300. I think we're going to be approaching the 600 mark soon. I, I don't know exactly... And honestly, that is large part due to our high quality guests, the people we've had on, the discussions we've recently had have been incredible and it just keeps getting better. And this is also largely in part to you guys. 
Thank you so much for telling your friends, your family, whoever, about the podcast, about the website, telling them where to go. Keep doing that. We really appreciate it. Keep spreading the word. Oh, yeah. That website is smartpeoplepodcast.com, just in case you haven't checked it out. So we're going to turn it over to Josh Klein as we discuss everything from businesses and innovation. And we talk about his new book, Hacking Work, Breaking Stupid Rules for Smart Results. Cool. I love the whole the whole like um, you know, people who do interesting things and whatnot. I got I recently or not recently, it was almost a year ago now. Got to go to India and speak on a panel with Sir Tim Berners Lee, the guy who actually invented the internet. And uh, for me, as a yeah, yeah. Oh, it was. I mean, really, like for a guy that's been hardcore into the internet since I was eleven, this was sort of like saying, you know, hey, why don't you and Jesus and have uh, a get all together and like have a chat about uh social reform oh. and you can you can represent people that are trying to break it so it was yeah it was like pee in your pants time <laughs> and i got there and he was just the nicest guy and we ended up like going out for wine and like chilling out and his what? wife and my wife went out and saw the town and the thing that i got out of it was at the end of it was that he's a he's just a normal guy who's trying to make things better and it was just such a huge moment for me to be like, okay, yeah, he's he's sharp. I mean, no doubt about it. The guy is gifted, right? Right. But it's not as though he's got a halo floating over his head. He just works really hard to make things better. And it was one of the most encouraging things in my career in the longest time to be like, okay, yeah, you know, I don't have to to wander around in his shadow. He's he, you know, he wants to chat. He wants to talk about stuff. He wants to know what you think. It's, it was super encouraging. Huh. That is really cool. And you know, I guess. And that'll be a lead in right now to the, the first official question I have is just um, you. One of the things that really struck me is you seemed like, I, I don't know, I drew so many parallels between myself and, and you and just that you're, you know, you're curious. I mean, you're just an intellectually curious guy. You would talk about how your friends were out like drinking and you were in your dorm room figuring out how to graduate college quicker and do it on a budget and things like that. And you're always trying to figure out the best way to get things done. So I guess I wanted to, to ask you, you know, have you always been like that? And then why, what do you think motivates you to constantly question the norm and try to make things better? Man, that's a good question. Sounds like, uh, sounds like I should be lying on a couch to answer that one. Yeah. Well, um, sometimes we do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess part of it is like when you when you mentioned that story I told about being in university and trying to figure out how to to graduate in time and whatnot, like that wasn't necessarily an instance of me thinking, hey, there's got to be a clever way to expedite university education. That w- that was me freaking out that I wouldn't be able to have a university education. So in in a way, I think an answer answer your question is to a certain degree, that desperation drives some of it. You know, you get stuck in a hard spot and you got to figure your way out of it. And uh, I know that certainly in my career, early on particularly, there were a number of times where, you know, I went to my manager or I, better yet, I, I skipped my manager and went to the CEO and convinced him to let me do something that I, I wanted to try that I thought I could pull off. And when he said, yes, I'll give you a chance, then you didn't have any chance, you know, you had no option but to work your tail off to try and make it happen. And there was a certain beautiful desperation to that, you know, when you're 
working till four o'clock in the morning and getting up at six so you can run into the office and see what the results were. And you do that day after day and then suddenly there's a breakthrough and you, you manage to fulfill the expectations that you thrust so far ahead of yourself. That for me is a load of fun. Not because I like the failing part of it, although failing's certainly a big part of it, but just like being able to do that impossible thing <laughs> is so, so beautiful. It's just so much fun. What's interesting about that is like you were saying, I mean, I find that I always say in terms of sports, because I grew up playing a lot of sports, the people who go on to be professional athletes, most of them, honestly, the reason they do it, the drive is something external, in my opinion. It's not, I mean, of course you have to like it, but they either came from, you know, poverty or something where they could just lose themselves in the sport and it drives them to be better. So like you're saying, desperation or external forces oftentimes I think do play a really important factor in driving you past just what you would do normally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny actually, because I know that a lot of things that I've done have been, you know, that, that I'm very proud of having managed to do hasn't been necessarily that I expected myself to do them or that I intrinsically, you know, believed that it needed to be done more than anything else on the planet that only I could do or anything like that, but that I had promised someone I would do it or that someone had believed in me enough to let me try. And all of a sudden the fact that there was expectation from outside kind of, kind of up the ante, right? Like even if it's, even if it's your mom or maybe especially if it's your mom, you know, all of a sudden that means that it, it really matters. Like I remember the first time my mom had seen some of my speeches online and this is when I had first started public speaking. And uh, she wrote me just a, a quick email and basically said, you know, hey, Josh, woke up early this morning, couldn't sleep and ended up on your website and watched a couple of your speeches. I really liked the one you talked about, you know, about how we can do anything. I found it really inspiring. And that day I, I had scheduled two hours to write a speech and I ended up spending eight hours. I mean, I canceled dinner and just worked on it for eight hours because all of a sudden I was like, dude. This speech, okay, the, the client, you know, it's important to, to please the client. You know, you want to make sure the people that see it think it's good. But my mom might see this and she might think it's inspirational. You know, I'm a grown man. It's not like I'm sitting up every night worrying about what my mom thinks. But suddenly, you know, this this expectation made a big difference. Wow, that's, that's awesome. And hey, Josh, I just wanted to jump back real quick because earlier when we were talking, you mentioned how you know, you're an 11 year old boy obsessed with the internet. Were you also into the whole hacking culture back then too? Is that what got you into this, this whole process of, of hacking work and just hacking everything that you do? I guess so. Although I didn't really know what that was at the time. I mean, and maybe this ties into your initial question. Like, I, I guess you could say I was one of those odd kids with more creativity than sense. You know, I, I remember at one point I convinced my mom that what I really wanted to wear to grade school was cowboy boots and MC Hammer pants. I mean, that's completely <laughs> normal to me. Yeah. Well, okay, for you that's good, but at the, where? I, oh no, wait. I think to top it off, I think you know. You remember those those uh, like cotton mesh sleeveless shirts <laughs> that were big at point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do. I Sometimes I wear them to the gym. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, somehow I convinced my mom this was the thing. And anyway, I got the snot beat out of me, but uh, that was not typical. But yeah, so like I was always trying to do things different. And when I got online, suddenly I found that there were a lot of people that were doing things differently and they were helping each other do things differently. And they didn't really care that you were 11 years old. Right. So like if you really wanted to get the latest Commander Keen video game or whatever it was, and in fact, this is how I got started on the Internet. 
was a friend of mine showed me how to download this video game, this simple platformer game. And we played it for a couple hours and I was totally hooked on it. This was like one of the first real big video game experiences. And I was just completely like buzzing and playing this video game. So he said, okay, hold on, wait, wait, wait. And he deleted the game and he deleted all the notes. And he said, now I've shown you how to go get it. You got to go get it yourself. Now, mind you, that may be kind of a jerk move, but in the hacker culture, this is not a typical teaching mechanism. And, uh, and so that got me started. It was like, well, what the hell, you know? So I went and figured out how to get it. And all of a sudden, there's all these other people who are like, oh, you, you want to get more video games? Well, there's this university, and I know there's a repository there, but you have to figure out how to get through you know, the proxy system. Well, how do you do that? Well, you know, I can't tell you exactly, but you ought to go look up how, what the TCP IP stack is or whatever it is. And then you go look that up, and you ask some questions, and people help you out. And when you're an 11-year-old boy, you know, it used to be that 11-year-old boys had other 11-year-old boys to talk to. And everybody else kind of patted him on the head and, you know, or gave him a baseball and shoved him out the door. So all of a sudden, there was all this opportunity to do stuff that maybe you weren't even supposed to be doing, but you could pull it off. Yeah, and it's funny. I'm, I might as well just stay out of this conversation and let you and John talk. He, <laughs> he is – that's what he does. Like every problem I have with almost anything – um, for years, I did. I just said, "Hey, John, can you figure this out? Whether it be TVs, internet, what computers." And then I, I figured out it's not that he knew all of it; he just knew how to find it. Like that is it. That is how you become smart. You just know where to look on the internet, basically, or or don't even know where to look, but believe it's out there, right? Like, yes, uh, yeah, oh, and and are confident that you're going to find it. That's the best part. Like again, my wife will accuse me of this all the time. Is someone will say is it possible so-and-so? And I'll say, yes. And they say, oh, that's excellent. And then I'll go home and like Google the heck out of it and be like, oh my God, how do you do that? And call people and everything else and come back later and say, and here's how you do it. And they're like, wow, that Josh guy's really sharp. You know, he just knows lots of stuff. My wife's like, you're full of it. You never, you know what you're talking. You just have this, some, some sort of miraculously, you know, magically manufactured faith that anything's possible and you believe that so hard that you're willing to do whatever it takes to make it so. And so people bring this stuff up and you just figure it out. And figuring it out is the fun part. I, I agree. I, I see the look on Chris's face right now and he's just like, oh, God, what are you guys getting into? Yeah. But no, I, I, I completely agree with that. It's the same thing. Somebody will email or call me and ask how to do something. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get right back to you on that. I know how to do it. I just got to write it down for you. And I'll instantly go look oh, it yeah. up try to figure it out, try it out for myself, and then get back to them and be like, oh, here you go. Um, so, yeah, I 100% agree with that. Well, it's, it's kind of funny how, like, um, that joy of, of discovery or the joy of, of creating capability. I mean, for me, I, I've learned so many things that I know how to do that I, I'm now not doing. You know, like I took a welding class because I wanted to know how to weld. And... Uh, <laughs> It turns out doing a good seam weld is really hard. So I spent a lot of time doing it. And I've got a, a decent seam weld. Well, how often do I do it? I mean, you know, come on, really? <laughs> I'm not a welder, right? It's just, it's not, it's not like you get off the bus and someone's like, hey, buddy, can you uh, give me a good seam weld? You know, it's not going to happen, right? But, um, but going and getting that skill and mastering it and now being like, you know, I, I see a good seam weld and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a, I don't know. Maybe it's an ego thing, but it's it's just fun to learn it. I I mean, that's why that's why again why I wanted to have you on the show because you just say stuff and I'm like I I mean yeah you took the words out of my mouth. I mean even the reason we started a podcast nothing other than just to learn random shit that we wouldn't normally learn. Like 
you know, and, and I think that that is the most exciting part about really my day and probably life in general. So, um, and along, along those lines, you said something when you spoke at living social that stuck in my mind, you said, you know, um, constantly have ideas. Like the more ideas, the better, because the more you have, maybe the, the more chance you have of one of them being a great idea. And then in that same token, you said, dream big, which, you know, I, I might be paraphrasing or something, but just if you aim really high and then you kind of fall short, you still did something good. So without putting words into your mouth, could you kind of expand on that subject, that topic, things you've learned through the people you've met and the things you've done that kind of lead you to believe these type things? Well, let's see. So the, the first one, have lots of ideas. I mean, that's one of the the great mythologies of uh, of the modern knowledge era is that ideas are worth something, right? Like I have an idea for a startup company, therefore I should not tell anyone what my idea is because they might steal it. Well, there's a couple problems with that. The first being that someone's already had your idea somewhere, and if they you know if they haven't acted on it, then someone is probably about to act on it right now. And not talking about it is preventing you from meeting them or competing with them or anything else, right? So, so that's the other thing. The other thing is the idea, the fact that the idea that ideas are worth something is wrong because until you do something with them, they're actually worth nothing. Like ideas are are free. Ideas are dreams. They're everyone has to have them. It's great, but until you act on them, they're not a thing. And then the last thing is that unless you share them with other people, that idea is never going to reach reality. It's kind of like. Uh, it's kind of like talking to your wife about having a baby, but never getting in the sack, you know, like you, for one, you're missing out on all the fun bit yes. and you're not going to get a baby. Yeah. So you're just doing it wrong. You got to talk with people and they're going to tell you what, what's wrong with your idea, how to fix the idea, who you should talk to about the idea, etc. So the more you have of them and the more you share them, the more likely they are to actually occur. I mean, there's loads of ideas that I put out there. Just the other day, I was at a cocktail party talking to some woman about whether high-heeled shoes were inherently misogynistic, which is, uh, mind you, I don't recommend this as a cocktail party topic, particularly not if you're a man, because there's really no good way to have that conversation, even though for some reason I persist in trying. But anyway, somehow the conversation veered from that to um, civil rights in India. And I said, oh, I've got this idea for doing dynamic phone pools. And she's like, really? I'm, I run a consortium of companies that work with mobile technologies and we're trying to find ways to spread education. I'm like, Oh, well, let me send you the white paper. Wow. Yeah. You know? And so now she, wow. she's potentially interested in that. Well, how, why do I have a white paper for dynamic phone pools in India as a mechanism for school? Well, it's because at some point I thought that was a good idea. And I talked to a bunch of people about it and I wrote up a white paper and everyone said, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And, uh, and it's a foolish idea and we're not returning your phone calls anymore. But you know, it's, I kicked it around and the mobile technology field advanced for a while and all of a sudden, voila, there it is. That's awesome. I actually so, just, I, I just don't mean to cut you off here, but I had a conversation with a buddy of mine. Uh, he called me up and said, hey, I've got this great idea, but I want to learn how to do web development and mobile development before, you know, moving forward and, and actually executing it. And I told him he was crazy and that he needed to go out and just talk to people about his idea, find other people with similar interests and his whole thing was, well, then I'll have to lower my stake in the company. And, you know, my, my response was, there is no company. So, you know, like without those right. people that share the idea in the, in the similar vision, nothing's going to get off the ground. So, I mean, you might as well tell people who are interested in the same thing about your idea and start to work with them. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd rather have 10% of a million dollars than 100% of none, exactly. right? Which exactly. Is, so yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Besides, honestly, if you if you meet the, someone, that one guy out there or the, you know, the, the person that's really, really interested in the idea enough to turn to you and say, I'm going to bet the farm or I'm going to invest huge amounts of time or even, you know, I'll introduce you to my rich uncle, whatever it is that you need, right? If you meet that person, isn't that more fun than just sitting in your room by yourself? telling yourself how great your idea will be someday. Right. Absolutely. You know, and this kind of goes along with another thing you say in some of your talks and everything is, you know, give stuff away for free. I mean, I know you did it. You wrote a book early on, struggled uh, with getting it to basically make you any money or be in anybody's hands. And you figured out a way through, and man, am I not technologically savvy, but through like, free stuff, iPhone readers, hacking or blocking or whatever, whatever <laughs> bricking, whatever it's called. Jailbreaking. Yeah. Um, but you gave it away for free and it took off. And then in the end, like it was a good thing for you. And so I think this kind of goes along with what you're saying. I don't want to um, glaze over the thought you just made about how introduce others to your ideas, even if they're your competitors, they might add something like that's such a great thought open sourcing when did it strike you you know what things can be given away for free and it might be beneficial oh man uh i guess when i was 11 and i started downloading cracking tools that were freely available on bbs's and i was like dude some guy wrote this you know like as an 11 year old this is a sort of epiphany that you can have and that people don't laugh at you right like some human being made this automobile you know that's sort of an epiphany that you have it's kind of a big deal right well, at one point, I, I needed a tool to do something, and I found that some person had made this tool, and he'd given it away. And I wanted to write him and be like, man, this is the most awesome – I don't know. It was some simple thing, right? It was like uh, you know, a, a, a screen reader for H, you know, HTTP streams or something. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But anyway, it was like, this is the coolest thing ever that you actually wrote this, and you gave it away. And if you hadn't given it away, I'd never be able to do this cool thing that I imagine – I will be this impossible thing that I imagine I'll be able to do. Wanted to write to them and say thanks. Well, it turns out that that's exactly the bargain that was being struck. Is the person who'd written it knew that people weren't going to pay him for it, knew that someone would find it useful. He wasn't using it anymore, or even if he was using it anymore, making a digital copy is free and effortless, right? And now he's got his name on a piece of software. There's recognition there. When I say give away for free, there, for one, there's the, the philanthropic benefit, which is if you've got something and other people don't have it, if the more people that have it, the better off, right? Unless you're talking syphilis or something, right? So <laughs> you know, use, you're talking useful tools here. But, and then beyond that, there's a, a reputational economic in effect, which is my publishers after me to write another book. And this is the concept I'm kicking around now, which is that right now we're at a, a point in history where I can look up your reputational value the same that I can look up any human being's reputational value. And that was never true before. It used to be that my ability to look up your ability to influence others was limited to the number of people that I knew in my village. Well, now it's globally available and there's lots of tools that are going to be increasingly sophisticated in being able to do so. Well, if that's the case, then it's not too great a stretch of the imagination to say that at some point I should be able to look up how much good you're doing in the world and to do good by you based on that. Because the more good you're doing, the better the world is for me, right? Just stri strictly from a mercenary perspective. So it's kind of an inverse tragedy of the commons. That's 
an awesome thought. I just got, normally I kind of prepare a question, but I just got kind of lost in that theory. I don't even know. That's crazy. Yeah. Kind of went off on that, went off there on you. But, um, but yeah, just been kicking that one around. Like, like, are we now at a time where I don't need necessarily to give you $10 for this, you know, shiny bit of plastic that has information on it because that's the only way I can get it. I mean, I, I can get that data in a dozen, you know, dozens of other ways, including paying someone I know $1,000 to replicate it for me, you know, if that's the only option that I've got. But instead, I can give you $5 if I think that's all it's worth, or I can give you $10, or I can give you $100 because I think you're an awesome guy, and I'm super stoked that you took the time to make it and make it available for other people. And the effort for me to do that is, is negligible. It's just a matter of what I assume the value to be. So, and that's based on your reputation, right? Like on my perception of what you're doing, not just in terms of the, what's on that shiny bit of plastic, but in the world at large. It's so crazy that you're saying this just because I, I'm actually, John and I are both working on this new startup company. It's a nonprofit. Um, and the CEO is this, I mean, he's just a serial entrepreneur, awesome guy. And I was sitting down yesterday for like four hours. We were trying to work on the website and I just pulled up the podcast and I was talking to him about it. And I'm like, I don't really know why we do it. It's just fun and it's cool and we enjoy it. And he went into this whole thing, this tirade about your personal brand. And it's basically kind of what you're saying. You know, it's just that all this information is available now and it's just building your brand as long as it's something you believe in. And I mean, this is completely free. And Honestly, the the best things we get are the emails from listeners and the phone calls and stuff that are just like, I listen to you every morning. It makes my commute better. Like, to- that's totally awesome, yeah. you know? And if that's associated with my brand, I am pumped to put in however many hours a week it takes, you know? So I, I love your concept with all this. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? You don't go down to the Starbucks and get a latte and having someone say, dude, I listen to your podcast every morning. Right. right. Like you don't go to someone in a five dollar bill in order to have that feeling there's because it would be ingenuine. Right. It, right. it would be bullshit. And we're getting increasingly good at detecting when people are making stuff up. So the, the concept of personal brand, as much as as I use the term a lot, um, particularly when consulting and, and speaking and whatnot, I think it's it's kind of missing the point because it's. It's not just your brand the way that Kmart is a brand or like, you know, Velveeta cheese is a brand because I don't feel like I have a personal relationship with Velveeta cheese. Right. <laughs> but I have, a person, you know, I feel like I have a personal relationship with, um, oh, God, what, what can I say here that won't be embarrassing? <laughs> uh, you know, like Steve, like Steve Jobs, rest his soul. Right. Yeah. Because I've watched him enough times that I believe about who he was. Right. Now maybe I'm. I'm completely smoking the the crack pipe here. I don't. But think I kind so. of believe. Yeah. yeah. Well. Okay. So. But. But you know what I mean, right? Like I yes. believe that there's a human being there, and that he had some characteristics which I respected. Not all of them, but some of them, and they were important ones. And I feel like he did some important stuff. So, given that, I'm willing to invest time, resources, attention, whatever it is, in some of his stuff or stuff that's associated with him. And I, I think that that's that's something that we can't. You know, you don't just go to a marketing firm and say, run some commercials that'll make, uh, improve my personal brand without them talking to you, figuring out who you are and figuring out how to express something that's authentic about you. Right. And that's where the value is. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I appreciate you talking to us about all this stuff. Now, I do want to dive into 
uh, your book, Hacking Work, Breaking Stupid Rules for Smart Results. Um, it's an awesome, it's an awesome read. Thank you for sending it over, actually, so we could check it out prior to. I heard this in um, actually a YouTube video that you did, and then after reading through your book, it's it's just a common theme. This quick phrase: "Work is broken," and I loved it yeah. because I hate work more than anyone you will ever meet on this planet. I love doing things. I love creating. I hate working. So, and it's because it's broken in in my opinion. So, can you please tell me what you mean and what you think about work is broken? Yeah. Well, for the the main thing that's in in my mind is that the concept of work uh, is that you need to go and suffer a certain amount in order to get cash, right? And the amount of your suffering is proportionate to the amount of, of cash that you are worth getting, right? So if you go work in a law firm and you have to put 16-hour days in for the first five years or however long it is until you get a shot at you know being partner and people debase you and you have to do humiliating things, then it's worth it because there's lots of money, right? Well, that, it turns out that that's a complete fallacy because I've met people with much worse jobs that are much happier, that are making much less money, right? So, you know, there's a garbage guy that I see around my neighborhood that sings. This is kind of weird, but I live in Queens, so I guess this is normal out here. But anyway, he, he sings as he goes. It's not like he's really good at it, but it gives you the impression that he's not having a bad time. But he's also making no money at all. Right. Well, well, I mean, he's making some money, but not much. Right. And one would assume that right. that's because he's not suffering enough. Right. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. So so clearly that's a problem. The other thing that's interesting about this is that particularly in a knowledge labor economy, everything that you see in terms of evaluating people's work is that the more they enjoy it, the better the work is. And this is a, a curious conundrum that it has somehow escaped our transition from a manufacturing era. Right. Like if your employees are happy and enjoy their work, they will work harder. They will be more productive. They will produce more creative, more useful, more innovative and more competitive product. And your money will be better spent. And that is why we force them to check in at nine o'clock and leave at five and work in cubicles. Well, wait a minute. What? <laughs> right. Like there's something missing there. And yet every company that we're going to, as particularly big companies, continue to manage their employees as though they are in manufacturing plants. And I'm not sure, I haven't spent enough time looking at manufacturing plants, but I bet it holds true here as well. If you have people in a manufacturing plant that enjoy the work, I bet you produce better widgets or whatever it is. And I can tell you just today, I work for one of the uh, big four, I guess, consulting firms um, here in DC. And I started getting neck pains because I use a notebook computer and it sits on my desk and I have to stare down at it. So, you know, my neck is bent the entire day. I emailed people in the health and fitness department and within the technology department and was like, hey, listen, this is doing nothing good for my back and neck. I need to eliminate this problem. I want to get a laptop riser, uh, you know, external keyboard and mouse, that kind of stuff. And so I just started sending emails to the people that like head up these departments and they were like, Hey, you need to take this assessment and then do this and then do this. And I was just like, no, I just want this so that my neck doesn't hurt today. It's not that hard. <laughs> I want my screen at eye level and that's it. But I had to go through all this bureaucratic red tape just to even, you know, bring up the idea of, Hey, my neck hurts. Let's fix this. Yes. Yeah, and that's the other one of the other big things that, that we found was really broken. 
particularly around bureaucracies. And the, the solution seems to be the dissolution of large bureaucracies, but that's a separate topic. But the, this one thing in particular, which is that companies and bureaucracies arise through a process of accretion. So, for example, it may be that you are not allowed, according to book, what's on the books for the company, to put waste paper baskets within 10 yards of the heaters, right? And now that, that may be because 30 years ago, there were furnace heaters and someone put a giant stack of newspaper, you know, or maybe they had buckets of coal. I don't know what the deal is, but somehow something caught on fire and this rule got put on the books, right? So now anyone that works within 10 feet of a, a heater can't have a garbage can is the result. And, and these rules stack on each other and over time they create and create and create because whenever something goes wrong, the company's response is, okay, now we need to make sure that never goes wrong again because it was expensive for the company. And our job is to mitigate expense to the company. But the result is that you block out freedoms for the company. And eventually it becomes so ungainly and there's so many middle managers whose job is to go around the company and make sure no one within 10 feet of a heater has a garbage can that the company can't operate anymore. And by the way, there are parables here to the, the way that country, countries often dissolve by virtue of spending more to defend their borders than they spend to maintain their countries inside. But um, <laughs> that's one phenomenon that we kept seeing is exactly that. And that's why startups are so fast when they start, because, you know, if you're two guys in a garage, you don't give a crap where the garbage can is. You're throwing stuff on the floor. Right. Right? You're, you're making it happen. You haven't had time to figure out that the stapler has to be no longer than four inches long or whatever it is. In that vein, I guess, what is the solution to this problem? What, <laughs> I mean, I mean, and that's a big question, but in terms it, Josh. Of, yeah, <laughs> you've done a lot of things. You're a smart guy. Like I just, after listening to you a couple of times and all this stuff, the ideas you have towards these things are awesome. So I want to pull those out of you. Like, what do you recommend to the companies of the world? Because I've seen both. I worked for uh, Fortune 100. Now I work at Living Social. And we are, the company I currently work at is, I think, on the end of the spectrum that is the right way to operate. So I want to get your opinion, your advice to companies, to people working in companies. How do we solve these problems, innovate, keep things moving at the pace necessary to succeed. There goes my next book, man. <laughs> no, I, I, I wish I had a pat answer. So the, I can tell you where my thinking is leaning now. The first, the first thing is to make it cheaper to break rules. I can't tell you how many times I, I went and gave talks, particularly about the book, where there was, there was one talk in particular. It, uh, it doesn't matter where it was, but it was essentially like the, you know, the administrator the administrator's department alliance of such and such large bureaucracy. And we talked them through the whole idea of the book and explained why work was broken and talked about breaking rules and why it was a good idea. And uh, at the end, someone raised their hand and said, do you have a flow chart for determining uh, when it's appropriate to be creative? Oh. And, and it, was, it was a serious question, right? It was a serious question. And the reason was that these people had essentially grown up in a situation where their job was to, to mind the rules, and the more they minded the rules, the, the better they were rewarded. Mind you, their reward was a 2% raise every year or whatever it is, right, which to, to my mind is not worth it, but that was their choice. So I think that's the first thing is to make it cheaper to break the rules. Like, okay, hey, company policy is you don't put the garbage cans next to the heater. You did that, and it caught on fire, and we lost a cubicle. You know, God bless the cubicle. We'll get another one. Please don't do that again, right? 
essentially it's it's trusting your employees more, but I call it making it easier to break the rules. The, the second thing is to invest in meritocracies and to invest in, in iterating meritocracies. One of the things that I've seen be enormously successful in the open source movement, in creative enterprises of all kinds, in successful companies, et cetera, is giving people the freedom to pursue success. And it's always a shocker to me how many barriers companies put in place um, to allowing their employees to do this. So, for, for example, at, at one company that I worked at, I wrote a little application that uh, basically sniffed for Bluetooth packets in the office. Everyone in the office had a Mac, and every Mac was Bluetooth enabled. And at the time, everyone in the company was working on mobile applications that involved Bluetooth, so Bluetooth was always on on their phone. So basically, it was polling to see where people were in the office. And I was told that I needed to work with a team to get them to spend some time, some of their free time, on a project that I needed to get done. So that was a challenge given to me. So basically what I did is I found that every day before lunch, they went to this one person's office. It turned out it was a really cute girl in graphic design. But anyway, they went there every day before lunch, and then they all went out to lunch together. So I showed up there every day and just happened to be there when they turned up, and I would ask them questions about this project. You know, legitimate, not not bullshit questions, but like, hey, guys, I'm working on this project. You know, you I know you've worked on such and such a thing before. You have any ideas about that? Because I don't know what the, you know, honestly asking for their advice. And they'd be like, uh, you know, I'm not really sure where we're going to lunch. Uh, so anyway, and they take off. Well, after a couple of weeks, a couple of them came to me and said, you know, you, you keep talking about this project. It occurred to me, have you ever thought about doing so-and-so? And I said, no, but, um, you know, if you don't mind looking into it, I, I got a little bit of budget. You know, if I you know, squeeze some resources out of here and get, you know, can you do, you mind trying that out? Pretty soon they were working like three or four hours after work every day because they'd essentially invented the idea and they cared about it. And they produced this thing in half the time necessary in their spare time. How many employees do you know that have spare time at the office, right? Like we have essentially squeezed blood from a stone because I went to them and said, I got them interested. Now, I was sneaky and conniving about it, which I'm probably too proud of. I shouldn't be so pleased about having done that. But anyway, they they went and did it. And I think that that's one of the things that big companies are missing is that if you reward that kind of behavior, that kind of, hey, you get invested. And if you put in the extra mile, it's worth it. And essentially, that's what happened is this team, you know, I was able to, to really make the case for my superiors at the time that this team had gone well out of their way. And as a, as a reward, quote unquote, they were allowed to pick the next project and set the terms for how they would do it, which was a big win for them because they wanted more freedom. But um, but allowing more stuff like that, I think would make a huge difference in how companies are run. Now, in order for that to work, you have to give them the freedom to do it. Right. And I was going to say, if this is your next book, I'm definitely reading it. So you, you should go <laughs> ahead and do write that book. Go That's ahead and write awesome. that. Two, yeah. two pre-orders in the, in the hopper. I had one last question for you. I, I wanted to see what you thought about the whole anonymous phenomenon. Because, um, you know, it's got a little bit of that hacking culture where they try to do stuff that is good, but then go towards doing bad things and then back to good and say, hey, here's the reason why we did this. Um, but what what are your whole thoughts on uh, anonymous as a collective and what's going on with that in society now? It reminds me a lot of... Uh... <laughs> antibiotic resistant bacteria or, oh, wow. or viruses. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, this, I've been thinking about this a lot for a long time and it's, it's, a, you know, you remember when, when, uh, when Napster came out, Yep. 
So Napster came out and it gave away music for free. Awesome. And it was a centralized place and your friends could make recommendations and you could find out about the artist and you could look at cover art. And it's essentially the iTunes store, except that the RIA hadn't figured out you could make money at it and was too scared to let anyone try. So Napster got shut down and then we had BitTorrent. And BitTorrent let you download music faster. Uh, it let you download it in some cases cheaper, right? Because you were downloading it from many places, so you didn't have to, to spend as much money on the bandwidth. And it allowed you to download them more anonymously. Well, the RIA got really upset about this, and they started closing a bunch of sites. And then we got seedless BitTorrents, which allowed you to download them even more anonymously. Well, so so where you know what's the trend here, guys? Well, the, the trend is that if you punch a bear in the face, you're going to get hurt, right? Like the ecosystem. The ecosystem doesn't like it when you forbid it from doing what it wants to do. And, you know, it's a similar thing in the bloodstream. Like, you know, I could cut off your arm and sew someone else's arm on there. And if I gave you enough um, immunosuppressant drugs, it would probably work for a little while. Actually, I don't have any idea if that's true. I, I don't know anything about that. But, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, you can suppress the system for a while and it will work, but eventually it's going to bounce back. So I think that that's exactly what Anonymous is. Like there's a significant, or at least a significant enough uh, minority online that enjoys enough public attention and public opinion to feel justified in doing what it's doing. And it's getting a heck of a lot of press. And it's not getting a heck of a lot of press because its spokespeople are particularly charming and good looking, right? <laughs> you know, it's not like it's not like Jessica Alba's out there with a, a guy Fox Max saying, Hey, come on guys, these are these people are awesome. I mean, these are the, the pimply faced fourteen year olds of the world saying, Fuck you, RIA. I want my music and I want you to stop charging me fifteen dollars for a five cent piece of plastic for one song that I want. Nice. That's unreasonable. Your business model's broken. We are all telling you that. The public's been telling you that. Now Congress has told you that. Stop wasting all of our time and money, please. You know, and and yet the government and everything else, the you know the corporations or the legal system, what whatever boogeyman you care to point your finger at, hasn't gotten the hit with the clue stick hard enough yet to change the system. And it just happens to be that right now, anonymous is the antibiotic resistant virus or whatever that's giving us an itch. It's funny to me that sites like Mega Upload can be seized and all their assets seized. And, you know, they went in and this guy was worth over $140, $150 million from giving away files for free. And it just blows my mind that these big organizations and then the other organizations that are trying to protect those organizations don't see that the business model has changed and they need to adapt or really die. Every day I just see these people and they say, oh, piracy is killing America. And then you just kind of laugh and you see how well digital downloads do, how well the movies still do and all that stuff. Um, it's almost laughable. Well, but, but, but on the other hand, it's true. Piracy is killing America because America refuses to pirate. So everyone else is doing better than we are. Yes. Right. Like piracy is killing America because no one in the United States can do math anymore <laughs> because people in Israel are out there on Khan Academy taking content for free. Yes. Oh my God. And educating themselves and then doing amazing things like producing competitive software that half the price of our software. Well, what, what do you think that happened guys? Well, it's because we gave them, they got the chance and yep. too bad. The genie's out of the bottle, you know, that's not going away. The idea that that's out there is not going to suddenly vanish. The, the concept that other people can improve their own lives 
through their own hard work, you know, through no fault of our own, using our content. Like, oh, God forbid the world will improve without giving me my 5%, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's not. I never thought of it like that, but it's crazy. That is, that's awesome. You're kind of blowing my mind a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm totally ranting like a madman over here. I'm kind of a little embarrassed. No, about that. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is great. All right. Well, I know we definitely took up more time of yours than anticipated. Um, so again, really appreciate you being on the show. Awesome stuff. Your book, Hacking Work, Breaking Stupid Rules for Smart Results is, is fantastic. And We'll link to it on our website and all that good stuff. Also, your your website is josh.is, which is interesting, which is catchy. I like that. Where else would you like to kind of, you know, might drive our listeners? Or I know you're on Twitter and all that stuff. What, what's your uh, your Twitter handle and all that good stuff? Mm, Twitter is at Joshua Klein, all one word. There's another Joshua Klein out there. I, I think he's Josh Klein or something like that. I'm Joshua Klein. Although the other guys, are, he seems pretty sharp, too. He writes about, like, online social media stuff. So I love that we share a namespace, and he, uh, you know, he writes smart things. But, yeah, thanks for having me out here. I mean, it's um, – or out here in virtual space where we're talking about. Virtual world, yeah. Uh, it, it's nice talking with smart people that care. I mean, can you – I can't really think of any better way to spend the time. I, I totally agree. That's why we do it. So, again, thanks a bunch. Uh, best of luck. And um, – you know, we'll be following you now. So make sure next time you're thinking about that speech, like I want you to be thinking, I need to impress the host of Smart People <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Will do, I promise. All right. Bye, thanks again, Josh. Thanks a lot, Josh. Have a good one. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I know I could have sat on here and talked to Josh for at least another couple hours about Anonymous, the RIAA pirating stuff as children oh my god my eyes were just i'd have to say that was probably one of my favorite conversations in the past few months i thoroughly enjoyed that yeah and like you said it was a conversation i mean you you made that joke afterwards you were like i'm gonna try and hit him up on skype and just like talk to him because he's such a cool guy and i could we could just converse for a while and that those are the best things to do i mean those are the best interviews if you will oh i agree you know sitting down and having conversations with people like this i mean This is one of the reasons we did this. And this just goes to prove that we're doing something cool. We both enjoy doing it. And at least we're enjoying it. And I think other people are as well. So we will keep on. Yeah. How could you not enjoy that? Come on. What else would you have been doing in the past 45 minutes or whatever? I don't know. But speaking of people enjoying it, I want to throw a quick shout out to Joe from Pennsylvania, uh, right outside of Philly. He called us on our Google Voice number, and which let me throw that out there. It's 209 nine two zero seven six seven eight and we mentioned it a a couple episodes ago you know it's just another way for you guys to contact us give us some feedback you like you don't like who you want to hear whatever it's free you you're not going to talk to anybody it's just a message you'll leave and joe hit us up and was just like guys thanks and it was awesome you know it it's it's so motivational we're like this is why we do it this is so much fun so joe thanks again really appreciate your support Again, anybody can call us and leave us a message on 209-920-7678. And head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Click on that Amazon banner at the top of the page. Anytime that you're looking to buy stuff from Amazon, think about Smart People Podcast. Go through us. It's a way that you guys can support the show without having to send us any money directly out of your pockets. You know, all the purchases that you make on Amazon, we end up getting a little bit of a kickback for, and it helps us keep the lights on, keep this thing rolling. Make sure to keep tuning in, like us on Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. 
We have some crazy good guests coming up. We actually have scheduled in advance for one, so I'm really enjoying our planning. And I I promise we have some good conversations in the works. So thanks for uh, listening to the podcast, and we'll be back next week. And don't forget to donate to LLS. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm.